Lord, thank you for this opportunity today to give to you and acknowledge your goodness. And Lord, we just ask as we open your word in a moment that your spirit would come in such a profound way and touch our lives afresh today. Lord, we don't want to just read the Bible. We want the Bible to read us. We want to position our lives under it so that we can experience the blessing contained in it. We ask all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name's Jono, if we haven't yet met. And uh, I'm fairly new still here. This is my eighth time, I think, bringing God's word. And so if you're new and you feel lost, that makes two of us. But, but don't stay lost. Uh, get, make yourself known. Get connected. And as Caitlin's mentioned, you could go to Access Point after church today. It's the best way to um, get involved. Next Sunday, we have a newcomer's lunch. And so that's a really good opportunity to plug in and uh, get to know some of the goings-on of our church here. A couple of things to mention before I get into the scripture this morning, which will be Colossians 4. So if you've got a Bible, begin to turn there. Uh, First of all, a thank you from uh, the Bounty Boulevard School. So well done, Katie and the team, who uh, represented Axis there this past Monday. And thank you to all of you who contributed um, with, with food donations, etc., for that. So it was wonderful for me to go and have opportunity to meet the principal, Steve, there, and also work alongside the chaplain, Andrew, in the good work he's doing. So this is an ongoing relationship we have with the school. You heard last week from Katie how we provide lunches to the kids in need, and this is kind of um, the, the teacher focus on this particular day where we provide morning tea and bless them in that way. Now, hopefully we've got some survey results. Yes, we have. So being the new guy, um, we, we did a survey um, and picked sort of 40 people involved in, in the ministry leadership here to get some feedback because I wanted to understand Access Church and the way forward. And so I just want to give a quick report on what was found through that survey. Now, last Sunday night I mentioned this, so if you're here, you've already heard it. However, I mentioned it a couple of times so that if you've missed hearing it, you get opportunity to connect with it. So, firstly, things to celebrate that came out of this survey. So there's about 15 questions in this survey and and I've picked the the top marked responses here that we can celebrate as being good things about Access Church. We present a positive gospel message. 91% of respondents felt confident about that, which is really, really good news. And... uh, as I say, being fresh on the scene, there's no credit to me in this regard. That, that All credit there goes to Neil and Graham and those that have been bringing God's word in that, in that last six-month period that, that reflects that result there. Our services inspired true worship. 86% felt confident about this. Another really great thing for us to celebrate here at Axis. We practiced redemptive love. 83% felt confident about this. So the other three highest results that we can be thankful for. Now, a couple of things to work on. There's always things to work on. We'll never be a perfect church. So here's the things that we're going to be be developing in the next season. A clear and common vision. Uh, 58% felt unsure about that. Uh, We balance evangelism and discipleship. 52% felt unsure about that. And we develop leaders. 48% felt unsure about that. So bearing that feedback in mind, here's our... um, couple of outcomes that we're going to be focusing on. Over the weekend of April 3rd and 4th, we're going to be bringing a consultant in and really hitting those two big themes there of um, strategies to disciple the next generation of leaders here at church 
and a long-term vision. So um, we'll be looking forward to bringing you more updates along the way, uh, but that's where we're up to in regards to the survey. So thank you if you contributed to that. Um, if that if that feedback there raises some questions or concerns or more feedback, then I'll always welcome that conversation as we endeavour to grow together. Uh, one other thing to mention is an update on the staff. My clicker has dropped out, it seems. There we go. So at the last board meeting, I took a recommendation to the, to the board that Joe, Caitlin and Bonnie be retained as staff of access, which they wholeheartedly agree with, so that's the good news. So we've got some stability there, which is wonderful. Is anyone excited by that or just me? <laughs> cool. Secondly, the board notified me when I arrived that within the budget there's, there's been made um, space for an assistant pastor to be brought in uh, alongside me. However, in the last little while, we haven't been reaching our budget, so therefore we need to control our spending, and we are doing that really well. But that just means we won't be in a hurry to fill that position right now. Um, we are interested in employing someone to work in the next generation area, so that, that area of youth and young adults. Now, it certainly won't be full-time, but maybe up to two days a week. So as you hear that, if that's something that really interests you, then please see Joe Thompson about that, and uh, we'll be looking into that over the next couple of weeks. Register your interest in that with Joe. So we've been working through a series uh, called Life Together, and as I say, if you've got a Bible, please turn to Colossians 4 today. Now, we've been learning about how to not only do life together, but how to do life together well. And we really need biblical wisdom in order to, um, to, to be able to do that. So last week, we looked about life together after trust has diminished. And we look at uh, Matthew 18, where Peter, I think, is pretty exasperated, where he says, Lord, how long? Do I have to endure with my brother? I mean, over and over and over again, he is proving to be a goose. And what do I do with that? How do I relate to him? And uh, Jesus gives a response to that. And we spoke about that last week, how that forgiveness is actually different from trusting. Forgiveness is different from reconciliation. And forgiveness takes a whole lot of processing. And we, 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 we sort of landed in this place where we said, we honour everybody, but we respect only few. We hold our respect close. And uh, we can honour everybody because they're human beings made in the image of God. They deserve honour. But respect is behavioural. And respect is for people who over time have shown themselves to be trustworthy and follow through on their word, etc. So in other words, hold your respect Closely. So last week, essentially, the big message was guard your heart. Guard your heart. In fact, the Bible says, above all things, guard your heart. Today, I'm going to invite you to consider the opposite end of the spectrum. Open your heart. Open your heart. Now, what are you trying to do? Trying to confuse us? Well, hopefully not. Hopefully, we can bring some clarity to that. But this week, we're going to be talking about growing in vulnerability. And uh, we're going to look at Colossians 4. Now, we're actually looking at the back end of Colossians 4 this morning, and it's a pretty obscure passage. Let me warn you with that. Dare I say, it might be one that you've skipped over many times because it's just a bunch of names. And uh, we see a passage like this in our Bibles, and we probably think, oh, not much there for me, and we skip to the next page. However, what we need to keep in mind 
is God wasn't gap-filling when we get to a passage like this. God didn't have this magical number in mind of 1,200 pages and he hadn't reached it yet, so he filled up a page just with names so that the magical number got there. This is not how the Bible is written. The Bible is inspired words from God. And we need to take it as such. So I think as we look again at Colossians 4, what you're going to find this morning is there's much to gain from the example of the Apostle Paul, how he positioned his life in community and lived it well. So I'm reading from verse 7 of the last chapter of Colossians. Verse 7, it's the kind of... um, Scripture reading, actually, you normally delegate to somebody else because there's this bunch of tricky names to read out. So don't laugh at me as I make my best attempt, okay? Here we go. Tychicus will give you a full report about how I'm getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves me in the Lord's work. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I'm also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happened here. Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers... Um, Next page. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God. And what a comfort they have been. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you, and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings, and so does Demas. Please give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting. Paul, remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. There's a thinking out there that goes along these lines. When trouble strikes, you'll find out who your true friends are. You heard that? Probably agree with that. Stands to good reason, doesn't it? Most would think that's a fair statement. There's a lot of truth. People with lots of money appear popular until the money runs out and then so often so do the friends run out. People peel off when the going gets tough. I guess in some respects people don't know what to do with pain. They don't know what to do with difficulty, with hardship and so the easiest thing to do is shoot through and to not have to be involved with the waters get deep. I reckon if we went around the room this This morning you'd have stories about people you thought were friends who you found out when trouble struck weren't really. You thought Michelle or Mark, yeah, they'll be there for me. But when the going got tough, they weren't. They they were nowhere to be found. This is what makes Colossians 4 so remarkable. The going is tough. 
Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel, being persecuted for sharing his faith. And at this point in his life, he's got nothing to offer. He's got nothing to offer in terms of his friendship. Nothing at all. He can't host a party. He can't give out a loan financially. He wasn't the star of the local sporting club. Paul's got nothing. Paul's got nothing to to bring to the friendship table in terms of attracting popularity. And still, he's surrounded by teammates. Friends abound. We read about it. That Paul has friends isn't really surprising. That his friends still want to be associated with him now is very surprising. Paul maintains his small group from jail. This is what we get a glimpse of in our reading today. It's full of names, Colossians 4. People that Paul had a deep connection with. His small group, if you like. I'm going to try and read them again. Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, Epaphras, Luke, Demas. They all get a mention. And they're with Paul even in this season. Isn't that amazing? Paul maintains his small group from jail. And get this, and this is really, really important if you're under 30. He did so without a phone. Isn't that incredible? (laughs) Without a social media platform, without Facebook, without Instagram, without a phone. Paul stays connected with his mates. He maintains his relationships. Notice the word I've chosen there, maintained. I don't think he formed them. How could he form them from jail? He maintained them. He maintained them. It stands to logic. They weren't formed after he was locked up. They were plugged in well before such a time. Here's what Paul didn't do then. Wait till he wound up in prison to kickstart community. No, no, no. He built in well-established relationships and they were set in stone previously in better times before the day of trial come, before the heat came. They were formed as part of Paul's discipleship lifestyle. He lived connected with people, side by side, life in community. Paul's not a lone ranger. He's a team player. He does life with others. His life is intertwined with community. And Paul built this relational strength in before the day of trouble strikes. In this case, he meant prison. For you, that might be loss of employment, financial crisis, a health diagnosis. Trouble of some kind will strike. That's inevitable. What will show up when trouble strikes is what we've built in prior to such a time. You know, this is really, really wise on Paul's behalf because you know what we often do in life? We get to the day of trouble and then we look around and we see nobody and we go, help! It's too late then. It's too late. You need to build in before. The trouble just reveals what's already there, right? Paul was smart enough, wise enough, discerning enough to build this in before he felt the need for it. Here's what the Bible tells us about friendship. Proverbs says, The one who has friends must themselves be friendly. That's pretty basic, isn't it? But also I suggest it's pretty profound because what it tells us is that friendships are not fluked. Sometimes we think, oh, wow, those, they're good mates, those two. 
but they invested in order to reach that stage in friendship. Friendships are not fluke. They are, there's, there's relational deposits that have gone in to get that relationship to where it got. When the going got tough for Paul, and it did, he looked to the right, he looked to the left, and people were there. Hard times simply reveal what already exists. Paul can speak to the, about these people that are sticking with him now because they were already a part of his life prior to the hardship. So here's what we're saying this morning. We reap what we sow, including relationally. We reap what we sow. We, we understand that as a biblical principle. What we may not have well understood is that this includes our relationships. Maybe we've read this context, this scripture rather, in the context of sin, you know, poor choices end up winding up with, uh, with hardship on the back end, and they do. But it works in the positive direction just as strongly. If I sow in good relational friendships, then I reap the benefit of those when the day of trouble comes. On the other hand, it'd be naive to expect deep friendships if I'm not sowing deep friendships, right? I reap what I sow. I recall a guy, and I'm going back a while in this story, um, but he's, he's back in a church I was at some, some years, years ago, and he left the church, and he'd been gone for quite a while, and he came back one day and said, nobody's come to visit me. I said, okay, that's really sad. Oh, he was angry. He was bitter. Nobody cares around here. Nobody's come to check on me. And I just felt in this moment, for him, a challenge was needed. And I said, who would you welcome in the church to come and speak into your life at that level? Who, who has your trust? Who have you given insight into how you're tracking that you would welcome a, a conversation about how you're really going? And he said, nobody. <laughs> Can you spot the problem? He, he, he lived his life as a closed book. And then when hardship came, he complained about the, what, he was, what he was reaping, but he was reaping simply what he had sown. He hadn't sown into relationships, so why would he expect to reap support on the back end? There wasn't any, because he hadn't lived in such a way to attract that. Here's the point. Here's the principle that I'm bringing to you. We give permission for people to minister to us. I do. You do. We give that permission by our openness. We ought not expect encouragement if we put a wall up. You know those people where... Every time you see them, how are you going? Yeah, good. It's just like one word answers. It's like a brick wall. It's like you can't penetrate it with a sledgehammer. And, and the, these people would expect encouragement. No, no, it doesn't work like that. You've got to be open. You've got to reap what you sow. So what we see here in Colossians is actually the repercussions of Paul's life choices. He had friends all around about him because he was constantly living out this encouraging, affirming, supportive lifestyle to others. So therefore, it comes back, right? It comes back in spades at a time like this. 
And yet Paul is a model for us of vulnerability. I want you to notice that in verse 7 this morning. Now, vulnerability has become a bit of a buzzword in our culture, but Paul has this sorted 2,000 years ago. Look at verse 7. When Tychicus arrives to be with you, he'll do what? He'll tell all. He'll tell all. He knows all there is to know about me. He'll bring you up to date with my progress here. He knows what's going on. He'll give a full report of my welfare. Verse 9 goes on to mention Onesimus. When you see him, he will tell you everything. What will Onesimus say? Everything. He'll he'll be able to tell you everything about what's going on in my life. Hey, how do you get to the stage where you know everything about someone? They live open. I mean, it's logical, right? You couldn't tell everything about Paul if he hadn't let everything be known. Paul wasn't smoking mirrors. Paul didn't live his life with deep, dark secrets always swirling around. Paul wasn't a mysterious character where you never quite could work him out. You never really knew what was going on. You're always second-guessing on what the real story was. No, no, he practised vulnerability, yes, with God, but with trustworthy humans as well. There was no cover-ups going on in Paul's life, no pretense, no mask on. Paul was real. He wasn't living on some hocus-pocus spiritual plane, you know, where I just depend on God. Well, that's fine if you don't ever want any human support. That, that can work then, but if, if, if you're looking for human support along the road of life, then you need to involve humans as well. The Bible says like this, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And what? You will be healed. You'll be healed. But what starts that healing process? What starts that process of us feeling whole and restored in God? Confession does, and not to God, to one another. It says there in James, confess your sins to one another. Admit your faults. Confession does not mean groveling on the ground and and in tears. It simply means an honest acknowledgement of the true reality of a situation. Confession. I get set free. Revealing is the beginning of healing. When I confess, when I admit my true state of affairs, the healing can begin. We have to bite the bullet, friends, and let people in. Let them see a bit more of our inner world. If you're stuck in a pit today, you need to seek out prayer. Seek out support. Seek out someone that you can share that with. Don't don't just carry it all alone. You've got to bring the issue into the light of God and community. If you stay in this church for any length of time, you'll see me do this. I make a habit of practising vulnerability. I make a habit of showing that I'm still a work in progress. If you're here a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday night, you saw that. I talked about my journey with anxiety. And I, and I positioned that conversation purposefully in a place where I said, this is something I'm working on. I'm, I'm still working this stuff out. I'm, I'm largely healed and am being healed. But it's, but, it's a, but it's a real issue in my life. I don't try and land the conversation at the point where I've got life all figured out And I'm the expert on every issue. No, no, no. I'm a work in progress too. And we need to give each other permission to admit that because it's through that confession that the healing work 
begins. Brene Brown, who's a social scientist, said, I don't fully recommend on all issues, but on this I do. She says, vulnerability is our most accurate measurement of courage. Now, Brene's not a believer, so I'm not giving her a wholehearted recommendation. You need to practice discernment. However, she's got a point. I can't disagree with that statement there. So how are you going with vulnerability today? How much of your life do you let be seen? Are you like Paul where his friends could go, oh, yeah, I know everything about him. I know all there is to know. His life is an open book. He doesn't play games. You say, John, I like what you're saying, but I'm just a reserved person. I can't ever imagine being like that. Well, what's your big fear? That people will think less of you? Here's my brutal assessment. Before you even consider vulnerability, some will. Some people will think less of you if you start practising honesty. Some people will think less. Might continue with my brutal assessment. We'll make it our secret. They are not the people to worry about. If they are the people that are always out to impress, always out to keep up appearances, always out to look good in every scenario, should they be the people that you're really worried about impressing? You say, John, get back to the Bible. Okie dokie, let's go. Verse 11. Paul says in verse 11 of Colossians 4 that, that, that these, his mates would be able to tell the church everything that's going on in his life, right? Next question, next level of investigation here. How do we know Paul didn't just share the good stuff, the positive stories, the wins, the victories? When he says they'll tell you everything, how do we know it's not just the material that made him look like a super-duper apostle? Because he had ample material, right? Could have just been about his latest healing, about all the salvation um, that have occurred at his latest preaching engagement. How do we know Paul was sharing his difficulties? Let's be honest, we don't know exactly what Paul was sharing. We don't. We don't know the exact words. What we do know in verse 11 is it says, Paul allows himself to be, please notice this word, comforted. These men who are with me in life have proven a comfort to me. Now, really simple question. When do you need to be comforted? When do you need to be comforted? When you're broken? When you're weeping? When you're mourning? When you're grieving? When you're pouring your heart out? And you're so broken, so emotional that Someone's got to come alongside you and actually say, you can do this, I believe in you, put their arm around you. That's when you need comfort. When you're at your lowest point. What does this tell us about the material that Paul shared? It wasn't just the good stuff. It wasn't just the stories of victory. It wasn't just the testimonies of God's faithfulness. It was the confusion. It was the sadness. It was the disillusionment with life. All of that got to mention clearly or else Paul wouldn't have needed comfort would he it's hard to get close to anyone who's so spiritual they glow in the dark 
There's a story about Muhammad Ali on an aeroplane. And the plane was getting ready for takeoff. And um, the flight attendant was going along doing their jobs, making sure everyone was in the correct position, etc. They got to Muhammad Ali and said, excuse me, sir, you need to put your seatbelt on. His response was, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Her response was, Superman need no plane. (laughs) Superman doesn't need friends. Humans do. Humans do, and it comes through vulnerability. On the dark days, give people permission to speak into your life. God knows the way towards emotional health, and his advice to us today is the less secrets you carry the better off you are. And if churches aren't a safe place to be unraveled before God in community, then where is the safe place? Where is the safe place for those who are weary, fractured and weighed down by life? Because that is the heart of God for us to be able to share that together in community. The Bible says we rejoice with those that rejoice, but that's not all. We weep with those who weep. There's a time to party. There's a time to bring your victory story. And there's a time to mourn. And you're allowed to bring your sad story too. This is what the Bible says. This is what the community of God should be. A beautiful mess. A beautiful mess. Beautiful because the presence of God is there. A mess because people are too. All over Brisbane on this autumn Sunday morning in the Church of God, there should be stories of mess. This is what it means to live life, it, it, what, what it means to do holiness. We're, we're, we're working out this tension between what I am and what I'm called to be. Caitlin and team do an amazing job of leading us into celebration every Sunday morning. I love that. I think we should celebrate harder. I've got a verse for some of you, capital W Wesleyans. Psalm 149, praise his name with dancing. (laughs) I love praise. I'm excited about the good things that God has done. God is amazing. And, And we ought to celebrate all that God is doing. Here's my concern. We only allow one side of the equation here. So... Here's how this works in the average Australian church. Somebody puts up their hand. I have a testimony of praise. My family was in a car accident this week. And praise God, we all escaped unharmed. And everybody cheers and say, wow, how good is God? That's wonderful. Problem is, the next row back, there's a lady here saying, my family was in a car accident this week. And I don't have that happy ending. What do I do with that story? Is that allowed? I'm not saying we cheer that story, but do we allow that story into God's house? It should be. It should be allowed. It's part of life. Where does that lady go with her pain? Does she have to dolly up her story and make it sound better in order to bring it? Or does God accept her right where she is? 
Is confusion, pain, misery, even doubt welcomed in the church of God as well? It should be. It should be. I hope that as a community we allow those stories in too because they are part of people's lives. And if we don't, what we're going to do is essentially isolate 50% of our congregation every single week because half of us are winning and half of us are struggling on any given day. That's just life. We don't always get it right. Some things are just plain sad. That's why the Bible's songbook gives voice to that sadness. Don't just slap a Bible verse on people that are suffering. Don't skim past their pain, the Bible says here. Weep with it. If you're new at Access of Hope over time, you find the courage to bring your full story God welcomes it, we need to welcome it too. And we need to come together in such a way that as we bring those stories, we find brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers, we find a family. We find a real family. We find people willing to go there. So we've worked our way towards attention. Last week, I talked about guarding your heart, right? And be careful who you trust. Today I'm talking about opening your heart. How do we manage that tension? What do we do with that? Hopefully we land this conversation in a helpful place this morning. The big idea last week, don't trust everyone. The big idea this week, open your heart to more. Well, let me say it like this. There's a difference in putting the details of your story out there and putting your heart out there, right? There's a difference. You're still in control. That's the difference. There's a difference between putting your, the details of your story out there and putting your heart out there. Let me say it like this. A number of years ago, I was leading worship at a pastor's conference and it was relatively small. There's only 20 or so of us there. And I just felt particularly flat on this day, if that's the way of saying it, or fragile perhaps. And I was leading worship and we sang a song, Amazing Grace. And before I began singing the song, I shared about all the broken pieces that I was feeling in my life right then. So there was only about 20 or so pastors there. Like I said, it was a small gathering, kind of a regional gathering. But I could tell the majority of them didn't know what to do with that information. They were like, oh. And for me as a speaker, it felt like they were doing this. Like, we we don't know how to handle that. We're not used to someone being so brutally honest. So the vast majority of them walked out without saying anything to me. Two, however, came to me afterwards and deeply connected with me, hugged me, told me they loved me and said they were there for me. One of them has become a dear friend of mine to this day. This is where vulnerability and trust interact, right? Your vulnerability is the test to see who's trustworthy. Now, who in that room showed themselves trustworthy? Just two. 
just two. And that didn't mean I give them my full trust from that day on, but they get to go to, they advance to stage two, right? I'll tell them another story. That doesn't mean I hate the other 18. Back to last week's point, I continue to honour them. I continue to honour them. I continue to honour them. When I see them, I'll be friendly to them. What will I do? I'll have a bit of a guard up on my heart. Because in that scenario, they didn't show themselves trustworthy. They didn't come and minister to me when that's what I needed on that particular day. You're seeing the difference? We don't say we're trusting everyone. If you get up in front of a crowd of 500 people and share your story, does that mean you trust all those 500 people? Never could you. You wouldn't even know them all. How could you trust them? How do you work out who you trust as a result of that? Well, watch what flies after the meeting. Watch what God does. Watch where the sparks connect. Watch, watch, watch how people come and, and try and take that story further. And uh, they're, they're showing, God is using them in that space to show them they are the people in your current season to do life with. They are showing themselves trustworthy. Vulnerability is what I allow to go from my spirit. Trust is what I allow to come into my spirit. And there's a difference. Vulnerability is me letting myself be seen. But trust is coming back the other way and it's me guarding my heart in that regard. Do you understand? Why why would I practice vulnerability, John? Well, because you can influence the narrative. Everyone thinks you're weird, and you are, and I am too. We're weird. We're all different. And here's how this plays out when you meet someone new. You try your your utmost to be friendly to Barry, and you walk away and go, man, that guy's unfriendly. Wouldn't give me the time of day. What if Barry shared a little bit of himself? What if he said, I really struggle with the new, I have social anxiety and there's certain events in my life that have created that and I'm working on it. Please be patient with me though. It'll appear as though I'm unfriendly. It'll appear as though I'm quiet. It'll appear as though I'm reserved. It's just something I'm working on. What if Barry was able to let himself be seen? What would that do? for the person on the other side of that equation. It would help tremendously learn to persist with Barry. This happens all the time where people make an effort and I think, oh, that person, they don't want a friendship. They don't want to go there. They don't want to connect. But if only we could let ourselves be seen a little more, people may understand and persist a little longer. I've been involved in those conversations many many, many times, where what was perceived from the other person is actually not the reality. But first impressions can be deceptive. We need to push harder past that to get to a place of deep connection. Upon hearing Barry's story, am I going to give him a pass forever? Nope. But it helps me help him. It helps me know how to connect with him next time. It it helps me understand the why of what his struggle is. Dan Allender says it like this, once I understand someone's story, I cannot be in enmity with them. Once I understand someone's story, I cannot be in enmity 
with them. Would you help people cease enmity with you by sharing just a little bit more of your heart in a way that, that positions your life to get the love and support you need? We're going to close in prayer together. Oh, Lord God, we thank you that you have shown us an incredible acceptance. Thank you, God, that your amazing grace flows towards us right where we are now. God, you're not in love with some future version of us. You're in love with us right now where we are. We give thanks for this, Father God. And But we don't want to stay where we are. We want to grow. We want to move forward. And we ask, Almighty God, that you would enable us today to choose courage, to choose honesty, to choose vulnerability. That when we are struggling, that we would first be open with you, that we would know that you welcome that from us. And then we would learn over time to be open with one another too. God, be our teacher. Holy Spirit, help us grow, help us mature, help us not be stuck, but to move forward. In Jesus' name we pray.